Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. This week we've got a great speaker. Hope you enjoy it. Super. Why don't we just uh, start to take a seat again, church? I'm just going to ask Alco, our, uh, our Dutch brother, to come to the stage. Let's just give it up for Alco. <laughs> so, uh, as you know, Alco works for the Message Trust, so I'm going to pass it across to Alco because he's going to introduce our special guest and guest speaker today. So, Alco. Yes, um, today uh, Ben Jack is speaking. I got to know Ben Jack as Galactus Jack two years ago. I met him, uh, uh, I think, online, but uh, we met in real life on a prayer day two years ago in Manchester at the Message Trust. And that's where a friendship became, uh, started. And uh, he came to the Netherlands for a gig. And uh, during that time, we felt a call to moved to Scotland and um, well I saw his heart as a missionary I saw for the first time a very big response from uh, the kids uh, we had several events with but since Ben came the responses of the kids uh, to the gospel were well heading off uh, way bigger than before after that we did some uh, Christmas celebrations in the Netherlands and well we started to work more often with each other and then later on uh, I've been asked to work for the message here in Scotland and we became colleagues and yeah that's a real privilege so yeah um, well give it up for Ben Jack Wow did I just get an ooh, ooh, ooh over there? That's spectacular work. Thank you so much. It is um, it's such a privilege and a joy for me to be with you uh, this morning. And thank you, Alco, for such a generous um, welcome and confirming that we're friends. That's good. That's good news. I've always never, I'm never sure because of the language barrier, but uh, now I know because he said it in public. So it's, uh, it's a good thing. Um, my name's uh, Ben, as you've heard. I'm, uh, I'm originally from uh, a city in South England called, called Cambridge, probably most famous for the university. It's where I, I grew up. But I've, since the age of 18, been traveling all over the UK and beyond and lived in many different places around the UK to outwork the primary calling on my life, which is to be an evangelist, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone that would have ears to hear the message and to receive it and to uh, think about it and to to do something with it once they've heard it. And that's a little bit about what I'm going to be sharing with you today. I've been preaching the gospel as an evangelist for next year. It will be 20 years. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Right? That's good. It's exciting. And uh, so I noticed at the same time as you kind of clapping and going, wow, 20 years, you're also looking at me and thinking, wait, how old are you? (laughs) Like, did you start preaching the gospel when you were like five years old? And the Lord smiles upon you for thinking that I'm younger than I am. But I, uh, I, I work a lot with, with young people, not so much these days, which is a shame. Time is tight. But um, I spend a long, long time in my ministry working with young people, and that keeps you young and also requires that you dress this silly way that I do as well. Um, but uh, I work for the Message Trust in Manchester. I, I know that you guys are, are largely familiar with that because of I think my boss Andy has come and preached here before, and, and you have Alco Miriam here in the church. And um, for those that don't know, the message is just a, a missional organization uh, based in Manchester that's been going for coming up 30 years now. And we, uh, we, we really just want to take the gospel to anyone that, would, that we can get it in front of, but particularly we have a passion 
and a heart for the hardest to reach young people. And that really started in Manchester by going to high schools and trying to reach young people with music. And they set up a band called the Worldwide Message Tribe that some of you may have heard their music. If you have, I deeply apologize for that. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, it's just a great sign that the Lord uses the weirdest things, right? Um, so don't worry, I'd say that if, if my boss was here, he'd probably say it himself um, because he's very self-aware. And um, we, uh, we would take this music into high schools and try to reach these young people through, um, I feel like I should pose when there's pictures being taken, like when someone's taking it, like, like well, what do you want? What do you want me to go do here? Like this, just, I'll do my best preacher pose. It's good. You got it? Great, 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 great. Something I've learned in ministry is integrity is everything. <laughs> but a fake photograph goes a long way, so it's good. Um, what was I talking about? I was talking about the message. I was talking about the message. So we, um, we would go into high schools and take the band in and, and use the band as a way of uh, connecting with the young people and softening up hearts so that when they heard the gospel message, there was a, you know, it was an icebreaker, there's a connection point for them. And, and crucially, because there are some limitations, we're actually incredibly blessed in the UK as a whole in what we can and can't do in schools. I know that the rules in Scotland are just a little bit tighter than they are in England, but still a lot of freedom to go and share faith and explain our Christianity and why we believe some of the things that we believe, um, and it's certainly about the historical truth claims of Christianity and things like that. But we can't necessarily do a response in school, perhaps in the Catholic high schools we might be able to do that, but, but in, in most of the other high schools we can't. So what we wanna do, of course, is invite them to opportunities, concerts, gigs outside of school where they can actually hear and receive the gospel. Um, and so that's what we've been doing for years and years, and we then started going into prisons as well, and. We then began to um, think about how we could reach you know, cha challenging communities around the country, and we set up this thing called Eden, where we would move Christian workers into tough estates around the UK, and we've got more of 50 of those up and running, which is really exciting, just seeing people not just go, I'm going to come and do a project in your neighborhood, but I'm actually going to come and, and be with you. I'm going to become part of the community. We're going to live and we're going to love and we're going to incarnate. We're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to step into the challenges and the reality of what's going on in people's lives. And we're going to shine the light and the hope of the gospel through word and uh, through deed. And then uh, enterprise projects that we've set up to help people get on their feet once they get out of prison or if they're uh, coming through addiction or whatever it might be. And so many different beautiful projects, but it all hinges on the same thing which is the only hope that the world has is the hope provided by Jesus Christ through the gospel. The good news that even though we've chosen to rebel and run away from our true identity as the children of God, we've chosen to run the exact opposite way from God. And, and the Bible says that God is life. There is no life outside of God. He is the creator and sustainer of life. And if you turn your back on God and you walk the other way, what are you walking towards? Not life, that's God. You're walking to death. The Bible says it's God's desire that no one should perish, that no one should die. But the truth is, we sometimes think that perishing means what happens to you when you ultimately draw your last breath and what your eternal destination will be. And as essential and as core to the gospel as that reality is, and we must talk to people about the eternity that awaits, an eternity in relationship 
with the King of Kings, with the, the Prince of Peace, with life and love itself, with, with your heavenly Father, an eternity in his perfect kingdom, or an eternity in the opposite reality, which is a reality that God desires for no one. Whatever it looks like, whatever it may be, we might have some dis- uh, disagreement or confusion about what it might be, but, but the, the, the Lord is clear. It is something that I desire for nobody. So I know one thing is true. It can't be good. If the Lord doesn't desire it, it can't be good. It is eternal, it lasts forever, and there's no escape once you get there. So our eternal destination is key, but we can't put it all on eternal destination because people don't just perish, they are perishing, which means that the reality of what goes on in people's lives here and now is important, and God cares about it. And actually, our evangelism has to not just be a call to eternal destiny, but a call to life in all of its fullness today. Jesus says, I have come that they may know life and life in all of its fullness. He doesn't want the enemy to steal away your joy, to steal away your true identity in God. He wants you to get connected to the reality that you're here for a reason. One of the biggest challenges that I find as I go and I travel and talk to people about the gospel, particularly young people, is that they think they're an accident. And when you think that you're an accident, you're just thrown up somehow by the cosmos, can't even totally make sense of that or figure out how it could happen, but we just happen to be here. When you think that you're an accident, you'll live like you're an accident. And when you live like you're an accident, you'll cause more accidents. And the reason why we have so much chaos in the world is because when you run away from the prince of peace, you will become a chaos maker. But Jesus says, no, I want to make you a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. God says, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? And by the way, that word blessed in the, in the Bible, when it says that in that context, you know what it means? Because we think of, we hear the word blessing and we think, oh, blessing just means something good will happen to me, something nice will happen to me. What Jesus really means when he says blessed are they is this, it will turn out well for. That's what it really means. It will turn out well for those who are peacemakers and within the list of all of the types of character that he's looking for in the kingdom meekness and humility he's saying ultimately you're going to inherit the kingdom of God because these are the kind of people that will dwell in the perfect kingdom why because that's the kind of kingdom that it is it's a kingdom of humility it's a kingdom of peace this is what we need to bring to the world now you know wherever I'm talking whether I'm talking to people of other faiths Muslims Hindus whatever uh, or or whether I'm talking to someone who's agnostic and not sure an outright atheist I'm saying look whatever else we may disagree on, I'm sure we can agree on one thing this world certainly doesn't need any more chaos it needs more peace the difference between you and my, we can agree on that. The difference will be how we find it. But I have never, never, ever seen anybody find true peace or experience true peace or bring true peace in any other way than in complete submission to the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus Christ. That's what sits at the heart of the gospel. That's what we try to do through uh, the message trust. And, and although I work for the message, I actually look after a project called Advance. And Advance is about mentoring evangelists. And I'm very passionate that we make sure that the uh, gospel is, is proclaimed in word as we go out indeed. Over the last um, 20 years, let's say, we have got really good, I think, in the church at, at uh, deed-based ministry, at practical-based ministry. We're good at that stuff generally. Sure, we can always do more and we can always be better, but I think we can look and go, actually, we're, we're 
we're doing some really good stuff here. We've got food banks. We've got asylum seeker refuge. We've got mums and toddlers groups that, that serves a really important, powerful function. You know, we do all de debt counseling. You know, we're meeting practical need through the church, through parachurch organizations in, in so many different ways. And it's beautiful. And it's a representation of the kingdom. And it's bringing peace into people's lives. However, actions are ambiguous. And if you never explain yourself, and if you never explain to people why you do what you do, people can be left with a thousand and one different reasons that they just have to choose why you did what you did. I guess they did that for me because they're a nice person. But you know what? Nice people isn't what we've been called to be. We've been called to be good. And good and nice are two different things. Nice is just a perception. Good is a reality. Nice is, oh, I like the way that person interacts with me. It makes me feel good or whatever else, right? It's a, it's a perception. But goodness is a reality because goodness is based in truth. It's, object, it's objective. It's not subjective. Goodness is either, it is either good or it is bad. And people might want to wrestle the argument with you over what is good and what is bad. The proof of the pudding will be in the eating. You'll know whether something ultimately is good by its legacy. And if it's anything other than a legacy of peace, true spiritual kingdom peace, it's not good because that's how God works. Everything is being done by God to make everything new. And what does newness look like in the kingdom of God? It looks like peace. It looks like relationship. It looks like restoration. It looks like joy. In fact, it looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Paul says in Galatians 5 when he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, look, there's no law against those things. Why is there no law against those things? I'll tell you why. Because those are the very things of God himself. That's his DNA. That's who he is. And that's who he's calling us to be. So anything that we do that, 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 that is good in this world will lead to those things. It will lead to love, joy, peace. It will lead to a representation of the kingdom in the world. And this is the stuff that we, we need to get stuck into, but we have to explain it. We have to articulate why we've done what we've done. I've got to tell you, it's about Jesus. You know, there's that famous quote, I don't know if you're familiar with it, from St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And you may or may not be familiar with the quote. You may or may not be familiar with the problem with the quote. It's twofold. The first thing is it's not found in any of St. Francis's works, so it seems to have been wrongly ascribed to him. But secondarily, it doesn't work. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't make any sense. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you have to use words. God himself is the word, the logos, the living word that has been breathed out and stepped into our reality to explain, to make visible the invisible image of God, to articulate, to actually say such words as, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If Jesus doesn't say such things, how would the people around him ever know that he was who he claimed to be? I tell you what, Jesus wasn't crucified simply because he went around doing nice things. Jesus wasn't crucified because he healed people. Sure, that may have threatened the ruling powers a little bit because he looked a little bit more powerful and proactive than they did. That might have got their backs up, you know, and we can see that in some of the stories. That, But ultimately, the reason why he moved from a place of being, oh, this guy's getting a bit more fame than us, to a place of we absolutely have to get rid of this guy is because of the claims that he made about himself. Such things like, I and the Father are 
one. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, Ben, do you really believe that Jesus is God? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, why? Ah, oh, because the Bible says so. And I'm like, well, yeah, but some of the writers in the Bible might say that, but did Jesus himself ever claim to be God? You know what my response to that is? Please go and read the Bible. Please go and read the Bible. Because anybody who thinks that Jesus didn't claim to be God in the New Testament has never read the New Testament. Or if they have, they've read it with so much predetermined bias where they've already decided it could not be true that they're going to poo-poo away all of the times that he makes a direct claim about his divinity. And there's plenty. There's plenty. The gospel screams a truth. The gospels scream a truth. The New Testament screams a truth. Check this one out. The Old Testament screams a truth. The Bible as a whole screams a truth, a reality, a glorious reality that there is hope because Jesus himself is God, has stepped into our mess. And even though we've run away from God and chosen death for ourselves, he screams out in the darkness, bringing light and says, it is finished that you would be separated from me eternally because of what I have done through my death and resurrection. You can have life now when you put your trust in me. It says in Romans chapter 10, if you openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from yourself. And you need saving from yourself and so do I. Because we're naturally rebellious. In Star Wars, the, the, any, any Star Wars fans in the house? I find that it's decreasing. The more that they make terrible movies, the more that there's less Star Wars fans. That might be controversial, but I don't care. Um, so the star, there's more Star Wars uh, uh, films coming out all the time, so this is an easier reference for me to make. The, the good guys in uh, Star Wars are the Jedi, of course, but also the Rebel Alliance. Why are the rebels the good guys in Star Wars, because they're rebelling against tyranny and evil forces and darkness. So why would rebellion be a problem for us then? Well, because we're rebelling against the exact opposite. We're rebelling against life. We're rebelling against goodness, against perfection, against holiness, against love. And when you rebel against those things, you only have their counterpoints, their opposites to walk into. And Jesus, by his grace, and provision has made it possible for us to move into the it's look it's the uh, in, into life and it's the only hope that the world has and this is why I'm passionate about evangelism because we have to go into the world and of course our lives have to look like the things that we talk about but we have to talk about Jesus if we don't talk about Jesus the world will never know Th immediately after saying look if you openly declare and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead you will be saved immediately after that Paul goes then on to say but how will anybody know unless we go and preach and how can anybody preach unless they are sent? Well, we have been sent. We have been sent. Jesus says to his followers, doesn't he, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, go. Go and make disciples. That's important. Not just go and preach so that people put their hands up at a Christian concert or event. No, not good enough. Not what we're after. Go and make disciples. That's costly. Very costly. In fact, it'll cost you your whole life to pour out your life into somebody else's so that they can come to know the King of Kings. So the question really then becomes, do you think it's worth it? This is an important question to ask. He says, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, the gospel is a, is a triune reality. The gospel is the will of the Father, outworked by the Son in the power of the Spirit. It reveals the fact that God has always been in relationship with himself and out of that relationship. So he, like, God didn't need to create us. Sometimes people say, Do you, did God create us because he was lonely? 
Did God create us because he was bored? Did God create like all these kind of weird ideas? No. You want to know why God created us? This is why God created us. Because the perfect triune God, who has always, always eternally existed in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for all time in perfect, completely satisfied, completely fulfilled relationship, at some moment in that eternity, and this is where time gets a bit confusing, so we won't go too far into that. If you've seen the new Avengers movie, you'll, you'll know it. Time travel gets very confusing. They say, you know what? Wouldn't it be cool if we shared what we had? Wouldn't it be cool if we shared this perfection with something else? Let's make man in our own image. And let's let man experience the reality of perfect relationship. Wouldn't that be amazing? God didn't need to do it. He did it because he's so loving that what more perfect thing could a perfectly loving creature do. It's not a creature. He's beyond creature. We're creatures. He's spirit and he creates creatures. What, What more of a perfect thing could that spirit do than to create something with which to share his love? He pours his love out on us. He lavishes his love out onto us. And we get to share in that. And when it goes wrong, it is that same trinity that gets together and says, you know what we need to do? We need to rescue them because they've rejected this perfect gift that we've given them and that's not good enough because now they're going to experience something that we never created them for and that's not okay. And God, out of his perfect trinity, out of his perfect nature, steps into our world on the will of the Father. Jesus comes in empowered by the Spirit and he brings us back to himself. And so Jesus says, so go and and make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, recognizing who it is that we are the disciples of, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. We sometimes, we sometimes forget that bit from the Great Commission, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. That means that there's something really important. And it's that when I die to my old life, which is running away from God, and I move into my new life, which is running towards my father God, like the prodigal son in, in the story who comes home to God thinking he's going to be rejected, comes home to the father thinking he's going to be rejected, only to get a better welcome and greeting than he ever dared possible, which is his father running towards him and wrapping his arms around him and saying, you don't come back to me merely as a servant, you come back as my son. John 1 says, we have been given by what Jesus Christ has done, the right to be called children of God. We put our trust in him. It's about identity. And so as we go into the world proclaiming and telling people what the truth of the gospel is, we can help them see what their identity is. You're a child of God, but it's not then that you have an identity which brings you into church. I'm a child of God. Great. That means I'm going to sing songs to my father in church for the rest of my days. Wonderful that we should sing songs to our father and express our love to him. Amazing. But core to the identity of being a follower of Jesus is the commission itself. Core to the identity of being a follower of Jesus is the reality of going into the world to declare his goodness in the power of the Spirit. The reason why we're doing Advance, which is gathering people in in small mentoring groups, and we're going to launch at least one here, if not multiple groups up here, to to grow and sharpen in their, their gifting to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We're looking specifically for people who have a gifting as evangelists, but we're keeping it open to anybody that just wants to grow in the commissioning call, which is for all believers. I always think about evangelists like this. We're all on the, forgive the sports analogy if you're not into sports, but we're all into, uh, uh, um, if we're all on a football team, 
okay? We're all on a football team, and every single player on that team can score a goal. Even the goalkeeper. It seems quite unlikely that the goalkeeper will score because they have quite a specific role right at the back of defense. But goalkeepers do score goals from time to time. It's possible, right? But who is the most likely to score the goals on that team? It is the striker. Now, everybody's pushing the same way. Everybody's pushing towards the offensive goal. Everybody wants to score. Everybody wants the team to succeed. But we do know that there are some players on the pitch, the striker in particular, who's just got that extra special gifting. They're really good once they get in and around the opposing goal, kicking the ball in the net. They're really good at getting in the right position. They're really good at chancing the right move at the right time. They have that special gifting, that special opportunity. That's how I think about evangelists. They're just the striker on the team. Look, we all have a responsibility, every single believer. Evangelism is the business of every true Christian. But there are some that God has provided a, a, a gifting to and an opportunity to, a boldness to, that he wants to send forth and maybe they'll see more fruit or uh, just have greater opportunities. It works out in different ways. But the truth is we should not let the fact that there are some specific people, the, the famous people like the Billy Grahams and, and, and whoever else is among us who, who are like, wow, they've got such an incredible preaching gift and I'm not like them. Perhaps you're more introverted. Perhaps you're not a particularly good speaker or anything like that or you don't feel a boldness within you. And one of the things I want to make sure that happens through advance as we try to get more and more and more people mentored and developed in their ability to share the good news of Jesus is that people will see that actually God wants to use you. If I just, just turn with me for a second to um, Mark's gospel. Turn with me to Mark's gospel. And let's turn to the very first chapter of Mark. And verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So we've just been talking about that. Jesus is going around. He's preaching. He's not just doing the miracles. He's speaking it out. He's proclaiming the good news of God. What is the good news of God? It's his identity. That's what we're going to make sure we let people know. I had a brilliant conversation with Rose. Is Rose in at the moment? Wherever Rose may be. I had a brilliant conversation with Rose earlier, uh, just back there. And uh, she was telling me her story, which is very powerful and, and moving. And, and what God's been doing in her life, which is so encouraging. Please continuously share testimony with each other because God's alive and kicking. And he's doing things in people's lives today, right here, right now. If the only testimony you have is how you got saved 20 years ago, you, you really should maybe spend a bit more time with Jesus. I don't say that condemnationally. I say that to, to release you into the reality that God wants to know you today, not just in the moment that you got saved 20 years ago. But I was talking with Rose, and she was saying that when she first came to church, not, not having really had a church experience, she saw people putting their hands in the air. She thought that it was a bit of a cult, a bit of a sect, because she didn't have a good frame of reference for it. People have all sorts of weird ideas about God because they don't have a good frame of reference. Our job as believers is to show his character through our character, but then explain the reality of that with our mouths. The good news of God is the news of his identity. Do you actually know who God is? Can you tell people accurately about the identity and the character of God? That's what Jesus was doing, both in his word, but also in his life, being the very visible image of the invisible God. Then in verse 15, the time has come. This is the message that Jesus proclaimed. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You know what this word repent means? It means have a change of direction. You're going the wrong way. Just like what I was talking about. God's life. I don't need you, God. See you later. I'm going to go my own way. You're going the wrong way. Turn around, Jesus says. Turn around and come back and walk the other way. 
God is waiting with open arms. In fact, he's running in your direction. If you will just turn around and come back to him, he will receive you. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. What's the number one thing that Jesus preached about? What's the number one thing that Jesus preached about? Was it love? Was it forgiveness? It was the kingdom of God. By far and away. Not even close. The number one thing that Jesus preached about is the kingdom of God. Why did he spend so much time preaching about the kingdom of God? Because he wants you to know who God is as the king and what you've run away from and the reality of what you can come back to. That's the story that the whole Bible sits within, the reality of the kingdom of God. So Jesus sets the scene. And then after he's begun his preaching ministry, he then goes and starts recruiting some people. And look what happens. In verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. We know this story so well. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Here's my question, Vine Church, for you this morning. Is Jesus saying to you this morning, lay down your nets, come follow me, and I'll teach you to be fishers of people? Is that what Jesus is saying to you this morning? You're all worried that it's a trick question. I can see. <laughs> Here's the answer. No. No. He's not. It's okay that you said yes, because I understand exactly why you did say yes. And you're not entirely wrong, my friend. Don't worry. But the short answer is no, he's not saying that. What he's actually saying to you this morning is come follow me in who you are. Why did he say lay down your nets and I'll teach you to be fishers of people? To, to the brothers, to Andrew and to Peter. Why did he say that to them? What's the immediate context? Because they are fishermen, yeah. So it made sense to them, right? I mean, they, they did the full reality of what he meant didn't make sense to him. Surely they didn't really know what he meant, but it caught their interest and it was personal and they were like, oh, okay, great. Lay the nets down and let's go follow Jesus and see what happens. Here's the thing. This story teaches us something profoundly important about the call of God that we must bring absolutely central to the reality of Christian, Christian faith and the Christian journey. The call of God upon a person's life is always personal. God doesn't want you to be Billy Graham. God doesn't want you to be Chris Tomlin or Matt Redman or Darlene Check or, or whoever else, worship leader style. God doesn't want you to be whatever, Brian Houston or whatever other pastor you want to look at. God doesn't want you to be those people. He wants you to be you, but not as you are, empowered by his spirit to who you are always supposed to be. That doesn't mean that he doesn't accept you as you are. Oh, that's the beautiful grace of the gospel. God loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. His desire is that you would be transformed by the renewing power of his spirit to grow into the fruit of the spirit, in fact. What is that kind of life that will flow from putting our trust in Jesus? It is a life of love, joy, peace, patience, etc., etc. Why? Because God's turning you into a kingdom person, actually into a prince or a princess of the kingdom. And I don't say that in that kind of patronizing, oh, you're a prince, you're a lovely princess. No, I mean that in an emboldening, challenging, actually quite frightening and scary way. Do you ever stop to think about the responsibility that William and Harry have had growing up and the pressures that they've had? And the, 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 the sacrifices, sure, they lived a life of great privilege in many ways. No two ways around that. But, but it's easy to just see the privilege and not see the sacrifice, right? Think of the sacrifices that they would have had to have made. Their, their life is not normal by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and even when their mother died, the way that they had to grieve, right? 
dictated to really by the needs of the country, which is kind of shocking in a way. We wouldn't let two young boys just grieve for their mother. We had to put them public profile in front and center. The truth of the matter is being a child of the kingdom actually brings with it great responsibility. And that in Spider-Man, I use a lot of pop culture references, I apologize. <laughs> that in Spider-Man, um, the famous line in Spider-Man is, with great power comes great responsibility. But of course that didn't come from Spider-Man, that comes straight out of the Bible. Jesus himself says, to whom much is given, much is expected. And you're given the keys to the kingdom. So how much do you think is expected of you? This is not meant to crush you or push you down and go, oh my word, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's actually supposed to bring you to a place where you can go, hang on a second, God would desire to use me with my weakness, with my failings, with with my mistakes, with my past, with, with my insecurities, with my inadequacies. And it's like, yeah, you, just as you are whether you've got the best speaking ability in the world or whether you have a speech impediment and find it incredibly hard just to construct a sentence together, God is saying, I want to use you because you're my child and you're my best representation into this world. People are like, no, I'm too weak. I can't do it. And I'm like, well, what does Paul say about weakness? He says, I'm full of weakness, but God's power is perfected in my weakness. If you could do it all in your own strength, we wouldn't need God, would we? We wouldn't need him. Actually, God is saying, no, 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 no. Although I don't desire for you to be weak moving into the future, I, I, I'm actually going to perfect you through the process of sanctification. You're going to come more and more and more like me until the time when you're with me in the eternal kingdom. But in the here and the now, you, you're going to be weak. And that's okay because my glory is going to shine through you and it's going to be revealed that even in your weakness, I am strong. Famous verse, Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, we like that one. Woo! Not ashamed of the gospel. Testify. But we don't read what comes next. And so then we get confused. Oh, maybe I am a bit ashamed by the gospel because I don't really share it. Read the next part of the verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God to bring salvation to all who believe. The reason why we can thoroughly stand unashamed in the gospel is one, because it moves us from our place of shame and rebellion into a place of restored relationship with God. But then as we go out into the world, the reason why we cannot be ashamed by it is because we don't have the power to save anybody. So when our evangelism fails, for want of a better term, you know what? It's okay because it was never in your hands anyway. God is the only one that can save. I can't save anybody. Only God can. But God does expect me to represent him and be his ambassador into the world. To let his spirit shine forth through my life as I'm being transformed. And to give articulation, verbal explanation of the truth of his gospel to the world. God says to you in whatever context you are, your version of, lay down your nets and follow me. And I will teach you to do whatever it is. If you, I don't know if you're an accountant, lay down your calculator and follow me and I'll teach you to count the cost of discipleship, right? I once did this story and, and, and the guy, I said, anybody out there got anything they're into? And the guy put his hand up and he said, I'm a karate instructor. I went, great. God's saying, lay down your black belt. I'll teach you to kick the gospel into people. Please don't go and kick anybody <laughs> pretending it's for the gospel. But you get the idea. Look, it's so easy for us to look and say, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then we don't go and do it. But there's a different way of thinking about it. Because actually, you're right, by the way. You can't do it. I hate to tell you, but you can't. Only God can. But here's the way of thinking about it. I can't do it. 
but thank God that he has done for me and he can do through me. And because I love him and I know that there's no other way that this world will know unless I take it seriously to stand strong on the promises of scripture that God is good for all people, not just for me and the people in our church. That his desire is that none should perish, but that all can come into relationship with him. And that I am to be his ambassador into this world. Well, you know what? I cannot do this, but in the power of God, I'm going to have a go because he's made promises that I believe in. It really does come down to whether you actually believe that God is who he says he is. And whether you believe that the hope that you've received is true. Is it just for Sunday? Or is it for your whole life? Is it just for you or is it for those around you? Is it just for your church or is it for your whole town? I'm sure I don't need to win you around to the idea of evangelism, but I do suspect that I need to win some of you around to the idea that God doesn't use you begrudgingly. He is delighted to use you. Nothing brings him more pleasure than seeing you represent him for his glory in this world. Wow. And actually the cool thing about that is when we then do come and sing the songs that we sing, and thank you so much to the band for leading us so far today. It was a very precious time to, together. But when we do come and sing those songs, you know what? They take on a different dynamic because they stop just being words on a screen that we, we kind of know they're true and we like to sing them. We start to see them actually outworked in the reality of what we experience day to day in our victories and in our failures. But here's the reality. God has already won the victory on the cross. It is accomplished. It is finished. And then he says, now, having received that, do you want to join me on the adventure? Because your identity as a prince or a princess of the kingdom is not just that you get to go to heaven. It's that you get to show people what heaven looks like now. And there's no other way that it can happen. Let me finish with this story very briefly because I've, I've run over time. So let me finish with this story. A guy goes to heaven and uh, he gets to the pearly gates and Jesus meets him there and says, hey, well done, my good and faithful servant. You had a good go, really good go. Now, you weren't perfect, no one is, but you did a really good job. Now, before you come into the, the eternal kingdom, is there anything you'd like to ask me? And um, man thinks for a moment and he says, yeah, there's just one thing, Jesus. And he says, uh, you've just acknowledged that I was a good and faithful servant, but I wasn't perfect. I didn't always get it right. And yet there are many, not to be judgmental, but there are many that don't even get close to some of the stuff that I was doing in terms of trying to live the gospel life and articulate the truth of who you are and so on. So I guess the question I have, Jesus, is what's your plan for when your church fails to share your gospel in word and deed? What are you going to do? How are you going to let the world know that you are who you say you are and there's hope? And Jesus looked at the man utter compassion and love and some semblance of disappointment. And he said, oh, my precious child, there is no plan B. It's us. That's it. Fortunately, God is our engine. God is our empowerment. God is our victor. God is our champion. God is our father. God is our savior. But do we believe it's true enough that we would count the cost of whatever it took in our lives so that the rest of the world could experience the same thing? Let me tell you something very important. We like the idea of God being Savior. Are we comfortable with the idea of God being Lord? Because if we're serious about Jesus being Lord of our lives, 
it means that we do what he says. And we know what he said. He said go. So we need to go. The way that Advance is going to help you to do that is by channeling you into these mentoring groups, whether you think you're called to full-time evangelism or, or, or not, um, or you're just someone that wants to grow and, and learn more about what the gospel is, then uh, there's a stand at the back, Alco's at the back, he's going to wave at you, and uh, you can go sign up for, for an information evening to find out more. You could take one of these away, it explains a whole bunch of stuff about it. We also have this book that I wrote called The Simple Gospel, which explains what the gospel is and why it's imperative that we share it simply with clarity. But to do so, we have to make sure that we've understood it with great depth. And they're available at the back as well. And um, we would just love to get you connected into these advanced groups so that you can sharpen up and be encouraged and become confident that God wants to work through you to see Dunfermline and beyond. Uh, transformed for his glory. Wow, what a privilege, what a joy. Amazing that God would want to partner with us. I don't understand why he wants to do it, but in his wisdom, he's decided this is the best way. So let's go. Let's pray together. Let's just take a moment. In fact, I will, and I will invite the band up. They're not going to play just yet, but I will invite them up. Father God, Father God, thank you that because of what you've done, we can have relationship with you. Thank you that even though we've rebelled and run away, there is hope, there is life, there is freedom for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. God, thank you that we have received that hope and we are trying to live it out and work it out with fear and trembling day by day by day, yet living in exuberant joy, even in the challenges of our life, exuberant joy, because we know you, and there is nothing better. But Lord, we take it seriously that you've asked us to be hope in this world, to be representations of your kingdom in word and deed. Lord, let those things never be separated. Let them never be divorced. Lord, where we have prioritized one over the other, we repent. Lord, they must come in harmony. The reality of our actions matched with the truth of your word. But Lord, we know that we can't do this on our own strength. It is by the power of your spirit. Your son says that we will become your witnesses and we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. So right now, we hold our hands out and we say, Holy Spirit, will you empower us to be your witnesses to Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? That means our local context, our county context, our national context, our global context means wherever you send us, whatever opportunity we have, help us, Lord. God, perhaps we need to be convicted of this, but you don't desire to leave us in a place of shame or guilt. You don't want to twist our arm up our back to get us to go and share the gospel. No. God, you want us to step into the fullness of the life that you have provided for us. And that fullness includes being your ambassadors into this world. Lord, help us to take that seriously, to encourage each other as we go. I just wonder even in this moment if there's some people who feel a touch of that on their heart, who, who actually just want to in this moment say, you know, whatever's gone before, and I may have been doing a real great job so far, or I may have been struggling in this area, Whatever it might be, just here in this moment, I really, really want to think carefully about what it would look like for me to be an ambassador for the kingdom in a, in a new way, in a focused way, in a spiritually empowered way, in a costly way.
And if that's you, I'm just going to invite you to stand to your feet right now. No, no countdown, nothing like that. Just right now, in the most natural way possible, just stand to your feet here and now. Thank you, sir. And if, thank you. If that's you and you want to you wanna grow, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you, encourage you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Who just feels, you know, I've got to take this seriously. If you're unable to stand but you want to respond, please feel free to just put your hand in the air. That's fine as well. I want to I pray for the people in this room who are like, nah, this is my life. It's to go. Let the world know. I'll explain again. Anybody who's feeling in this moment, you know, I, I need to make evangelism and the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ the focal point of my life. I need to get serious about letting the world know in word and deed that Jesus is Lord and he's good and he loves them and there's hope. And as you stand, you're recognizing that there, there could be a cost attached to that. Cost of your time, a cost of your finances perhaps, but the cost of your comfort, your ego, your pride. Just give it a little bit more moment, another little moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, let me pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people who are feeling compelled in this moment to, to stand to their feet, who want to count the cost of declaring your goodness to the world. Father, the call on a person's life when they come to follow you is a call to lay down everything, everything. And it is deeply, deeply costly but, Lord, it cost you far more than we could ever comprehend. It cost you the death of your son. You bankrupted the glory of heaven so that we could come into your relationship with you. What, what, <laughs> it's a small offering, Lord, but we give you our lives in response to that. And we say, Lord, have your way. Help us to move beyond our insecurity. Help us to move beyond our thoughts about what gifting we do or don't have. Help us to move beyond our comfort zone. Help us to move beyond any perceived limitation that we may have and instead to trust in your unfailing love and the endless riches of your spiritual power. Spiritual power which is available to all people today. Lord, you want to grow us, you want to mature us as believers but that spiritual power is available instantly today to go onto the streets to pray for people, to invite people into our homes and talk with them, to get alongside the, the, the widow, the orphan, to get alongside those who are grieving and mourning, to get alongside those who seemingly have everything and don't see that they have any need whatsoever. And yet in the moment when they do ask a question, what is it all for? We are there with a gracious word of truth to help them see that it's all for nothing if it's not for you. Lord, whatever setting, whatever situation, whatever context, would we be a people who unashamedly, boldly, and clearly go? Lord, would this be a movement that's based on prayer, the bedrock of evangelism, putting the power where the power belongs into your hands? Would it be a movement that's based on proclamation, announcing the good news of Jesus Christ to tens of thousands in a stadium to the one over a coffee?
Lord, would it be a movement that's based on proximity, that we would get close to those all around us, daily, the ones that don't know you so that they can know you, the ones that do know you so we can encourage and affirm one another and grow together. Prayer, proclamation, proximity, the keys to evangelism found in submission to you. Lord, bless these people, I pray. So you invite the band to start to play and, and we'll lead naturally into a singing together as we, as we finish. But I just want us to take a moment before the band actually start the song proper as they're just starting to, to, to play their instruments. To just think in our minds, the most practical thing that we can do here and now, just, just think in our minds of that one person in our life. That one person, that person that instantly comes into your mind that does not yet know Jesus. And just as the band begins to play, I just want you to pray for that person and just say, Lord, you want them to be saved even more than I do. And you have the power to bring them to salvation if they are willing. So Lord, would you bring them to salvation? Whether you're stood up, whether you're sat down, that one person that you instantly comes to your mind, who is it? A family member, a colleague, a friend, spouse? Lord, would you bring them to the fullness of life? Would you bring them to the kingdom of peace? Lord, would they move from being a chaos maker to becoming a peacemaker? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Stone cold guarantee. Lord, would you stir something in their hearts so that they would call upon your name? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.